Hello, and welcome to the Insiders Capital Podcast. I'm Pierre Daly, Managing Editor at AdvisorAnalyst.com. There's a tug of war going on between bulls and bears, and it has continued well into September between those who believe the Fed has done enough for now to tame inflation and those who believe the Fed has much farther to go. Rates have been moving against equities and bonds, and with correlations for many risk assets rising to one, it's anyone's guess as to what comes next. Joining me to talk about both the bullish and the bearish theses is Martin Lefebvre, CIO at National Bank Investments. Martin has 20 years of experience in the financial market sector where he has held various key positions. He joined National Bank in April of 2012 as a strategist before moving on to private banking 1859, where he oversaw the portfolio management team. As chief investment officer, he is now responsible for the development of investment solutions for national bank investments and the management of tactical asset allocation mandates. Prior to his years at the bank, he worked at NatCan Investment Management as vice president asset allocation, where he was responsible for the portfolio management of several multiple asset class mandates. He also served as senior economist and strategist for Desjardins Group and as U.S. economist with the Canadian Ministry of Finance. This is the Insight is Capital podcast. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast are those of the individual guests and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of AdvisorAnalyst.com or of our guests. This broadcast is meant to be for informational purposes only. Nothing discussed in this broadcast is intended to be considered as advice. Martin. Welcome to the show. It's great to have you. Thank you very much, Pierre. Happy to be with you. Martin, before we get talking, please tell us about the arc of your career, uh, how you got into the investment industry in the first place, and what you've been thinking about and working on these days. Yes. Uh, so you've touched about my bio a little bit, but if I go into yeah. more details... Um, I graduated um, somewhere around the end of the 90s, and uh, really there was not that many jobs around, certainly not in Montreal in that uh, sphere of uh, activity. So I started, as you said, as an economist for the uh, uh, government of finance in uh, in Ottawa. But I um, I rapidly moved to the uh, the banking sector, uh, where I worked as an economist for about I would say 10 years, and I really loved every aspect of the job. Uh, I worked closely with uh, with capital markets, bond desk. Uh, I was uh, in charge of uh, the FX forecasts and uh, and the bond markets forecasts. So it was really following very closely everything linked to uh, central banks and uh, uh, everything that's uh, that's um, um, uh, really aligned with uh, everything that they do so really fundamental analysis and then um, uh, the the problem with, is that when you're working as, within an economist group is that you're sort of in a, a silo so to to move on or to do different aspect of your uh, of your career is very difficult once you you're into that path but uh, I guess my big break came in uh, in 2010 when uh, NatCan was uh, searching for or a PM for its asset allocation mandates and um, I did that with some success for for a couple of years but uh, after the the firm was sold to uh, to a fair capital switch back to the sell side, and uh, I worked as a strategist for the uh, the wealth management division at National Bank. Um, 
And soon after that, I really uh, I took over the uh, the management of the uh, investment solutions for uh, for a private banking division, and I I guess somebody thought I uh, I was doing a good job, so because really uh, just a few years after that, I was put in charge of uh, overseeing all of the bank's retail investment solution. And uh, since then, uh, you were asking what uh, I was uh, working on. Uh, we've we've added an OCIO offering, uh, and uh, we're working very closely in uh, in, co- in collaboration with our yeah. uh, institutional clients. Did you ever imagine you'd be here doing this when you were younger, when you were still in school? Oh, that, that's that's a good one. I mean, if you if we if you go back, I mean, when I was a kid, I wanted to be a stuntman, so I guess uh, <laughs> I didn't have that in mind. Um, so I was more of the action type of kid. So I, I yeah. never really figured myself sitting in an office chair all day, but. Um, uh, what I've learned through time is that I was only looking for challenges and opportunities and finance really is uh, is all about that. So um, maybe I got the fever for all of this, you know, watching Wall Street's Gordon Gecko in 1987. That's really <laughs> what where it all came yeah. about. And that, that's when I decided to take business and uh, economics classes uh, uh, back then, uh, just before university. But um I could tell you that ever since my first job in the domain, I knew I was uh, I was at the right place, and I knew that I would do uh, everything in my power to lead and build a, a research team. That's that's really what I like, and I guess the rest just came naturally with a good dose of um, hard work and probably a bit of luck. Now that you've attained this role, the your current role as CIO at National Bank Investment and strategist at National Bank Investments, what's one thing? that really is everything you thought it would be, and conversely, one thing that wasn't? Well, Pierre, that's, um, that's a very good question. I mean, it's a, being a CIO is, uh, is everything about making the right analysis, putting together thorough investment processes, making tough decisions, and sticking with the plan. But it's nothing about managing um, a black box or trying only to have value on a relative basis. Um, when you're a portfolio manager, beating the benchmark is the only thing. But when you're a CIO, you need to understand that there's there's a client at the end and that outperforming in a down market sometimes doesn't cut it. So absolute returns is also very important. People have life goals and they're counting on us. So you need to think about communications, volatility, risk management, and uh, most importantly for uh, for many clients is time horizon. It's been a volatile year, year to date for both stocks and bonds with the inflate with inflation at 40 year highs and rates on the rise. In your day to day conversations, what's keeping your clients up at night? Yeah, that's uh, that's uh, absolutely right. I mean, most people you talk to have known nothing but disinflation, even if you were in the market, uh, you know, at the uh, beginning of the 80s. So seeing inflation at a 40 year is a, is a bit of a surprise for uh, for most people, even people I work with. I mean, most of them are, you know, around 30 years of age. So they've, they've known nothing but an up market practically. So wages are rising, but certainly not enough to keep up with the price increase. So I think that households will, will make some tough choices uh, going forward, especially in a rising rate uh, environment. So you were asking what's keeping my uh, my clients up at night. I mean, usually when the, the, the equity market goes down, there's always sort of an, um, a balancing act with uh, the, the bond market sort of uh, uh, 
uh, offsetting that. But the, the problem now is that equities are going down because yields are going up. So whenever yields are right. going up, obviously it means that uh, the, the, the price of a bond is going down. And really what's happened was was really difficult to to swallow for um, all those investors that are more conservative in nature. Um, if you look at a statement, you'll see that uh, most bond strategies are down significantly over the past uh, over the past year, certainly since the beginning of the year. So once clients get their statement, um, they will see that even in a very very uh, secure um, positioning, there's uh, there's nowhere to hide, and uh, that's pretty much the, the the big problem in this in this cycle is that. Everything is in the red, um, unless you were invested in um, in commodities and um, even more so in uh, in the energy sector. Everything is in the red. I guess the the only true um, safe haven nowadays is the U.S. dollar, but even that has gone right. up so much that it's uh, it's becoming a problem for uh, for many nations. So um, most clients are. Are are facing that, and it's it's difficult to uh, to understand and even to explain to them. But I think the worst is kind of behind us, and uh, we can look forward, even though uh, it's it, it will remain difficult for equ- equities in the near future. That probably from the bond market holders, that uh, the worst is uh, is uh, probably behind us. Yeah, I mean it, it's um, it's definitely a pivotal time. Um, this week is is. Uh, Definitely marked by the September Fed meeting upcoming. Uh, I mean, we don't know what's going to. Ha- we don't know full, fully what's going to happen there, but you have a pretty good idea um, with uh, so far what's probably baked in to the uh, the Fed's thinking in terms of of the uh, the odds of a seventy five basis point uh, rate hike. Um, but in the foreseeable future, uh, what are your thoughts? on the market now and for the foreseeable future? Objectively speaking, what's the bull thesis here? And conversely also, what's the bear thesis? What are the odds uh, at some point in, in the uh, foreseeable future that the Fed turns dovish, for example? Well, we don't see that coming in the, um, in the, um, in the near future, that's, that's for sure. I mean, one thing that's going to happen with the Fed probably raising rates by 75 basis points, as you alluded to, uh, but the message will be clear that they're not about to um, uh, make an about turn on their strategy and start lowering rates uh, soon. So probably the dot plot will change where those more dovish at the FOMC were kind of saying that it was a possibility for rates to 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 be cut uh, in 2023. I don't I. I don't see that happening. If they keep raising rates after uh, this coming Wednesday, or um, uh, and they will probably continue to do so until the end of the year, it's going to be very difficult for them to start cutting rates soon after. So they've they've made inflation their main uh, combat, and I think that on, unless it drops significantly, that they're not about to change their uh, their tune. Um, on the optimist side, or the the, the more uh, optimists uh, out there uh, on the on the street, they're kind of saying that inflation inevitably will will drop very significantly over the coming months, and that should be enough once inflation drops below the Fed's uh, key rates 
it will be enough for them to to maintain rates either at that level or even to cut them uh, soon after that. But the pessimists will say that even though they, they keep rates at the current level, it's going to take some time for all of the impact of raising rate environment to have a negative effect on consumption, uh, starting with the housing market. So we've already we're seeing that it's um, uh, even more so in the U.S. than uh, in Canada. But in the U.S., it's it's pretty clear that the U.S. market is uh, is heading towards uh, very difficult times. And once the housing market goes down, then you know consumption soon will follow. And um, we're we're in a, a bit of a pent up demand where we weren't allowed to go out restaurants to travel and all of a sudden everything is reopened right. and we just transferred from buying goods at home to um, doing everything that we uh, we couldn't do over the past couple of years so there's been really like um, a lot of uh, demand uh, lately a lot of activity especially in those sectors but when you look at at plane tickets double the price that they were before the pandemics going to restaurants you know for sure pierre that it's uh, it's much more expensive than what it was uh, so everything has gone up and uh, at a certain point in time then households will have to to make some uh, some very tough choices so for us it means that uh, that tug of war will probably continue continue but yeah. i guess that the 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 big positive in all of that is that we're not really seeing some big unbalances like uh, the, the like what we saw uh, during the great financial crisis where lots of loans were made to uh, to make sure that the ownership uh, property ownership uh, rose in the US and eventually that has led to a banking crisis so we're not seeing that so hopefully we're um, we're seeing that even if there's a recession it might be uh, very shallow and uh, short-lived so uh, that would be the, the the big positive in all of that where the 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 chance of not going into recession right now is very low but if we can you know manage to to if if it's short lived, then I guess that the market doesn't have to go down. Uh, typical bear market, forty percent. Uh, so that's that's the, kind of the thing that we need to monitor uh, very closely in the uh, in the very near future. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I um, you know some voices, some of the voices in the market have been almost lobbying. You know, you, you, you'd have to say it sounds almost like lobbying the Fed publicly through commentary to, you know, do this upcoming rate hike, but then stand down and take a wait and see approach and see, you know, how everything pans out over the next 18 months of the already existing rate hikes. Um, not, not necessarily to take a dovish uh, stance, but just literally just to stand down and, and wait and see uh, yeah. while, while of course others are saying, no, keep, you know, this is going to keep on happening until, until the uh, inflation volatility is under control under the, until the rate of inflation growth is, is uh, subsiding in the context of, of what's been happening for most of this year with regards to the shift in, in regime that appears to be happening towards uh, tackling inflation, uh, rising rates, how has your allocation changed from the beginning of this year until now? And what are some of the most recent allocation changes that you've made and why? Yeah, good question. Um, just, uh, just to go back a little bit, uh, recall that uh, we handed 2021 
really firing on all cylinders. So right. clearly the, the market was already positioning for probably some technical uh, pullback. So um, uh, that, that remains to, um, that was uh, the environment that we uh, were working uh, with. So big, big, big drop uh, last um, at the beginning of the year. That was more technical in nature than uh, than anything else. But um, uh, soon after, we saw that uh, the, the, clearly the market was was looking for for direction, and um, there was lots of unforeseen events. I mean, nobody could have uh, really said that that would that be a war in Ukraine. So that kind of put oil yeah. on fire. Um, that China would go back to uh, total confinement. Uh, so that that was, I guess, some people could say that was predictable, but it was it was kind of a difficult to to predict nonetheless. And the way our model works is that we we tend to stick with fundamentals. I mean, there's always risks, right? And right. eventually, one risk goes away for another one to uh, to add to the to uh, the wall of worries. So there's there's always risk. So we we started the year um, fully invested um, in in uh, in equities, but. Um, it, it didn't take long for us to to change our tune and we went defensive uh, first we went to neutral and then eventually we went to uh, to be in defensive we the big problem like I said earlier is that even though we kind of saw that equities were in a tough spot the alternative being bonds most of the time for asset allocators it was difficult for us to convince even ourselves that it was the time to buy bonds and uh, bonds fared even worse than uh, than equities right. in the first couple of months of the year. So we were massively underweight bonds. We stayed massively underweight bonds for uh, for the first quarter. And that's really what paid off, even though equities, you know, went down. Uh, bonds haven't, you know, uh, fell even f- further than, than equities. We, we managed on a relative basis to uh, to make a few uh, basis points for our for our clients. But but now I would say that we've raised liquidity. We like cash. I mean, cash is right. yielding somewhere between three and four percent. The highest level in uh, since 2008. I mean, it's it's um, it's it's back in our um, the, the list of uh, the the possible universe. Uh, right. Just before that, it was it wasn't something that we even uh, looked at. But now liquidity is good. Uh, bonds has become uh, more attractive. I mean, uh, benchmark yields are yielding 350 now in the U.S. A little bit less in Canada, but. Uh, the bond bond investors can expect to um, have somewhere around four percent or even five percent if you buy corporates uh, right. in uh, here in Canada. So, if you're patient, probably yields could you know co- could go always go a little bit higher uh, for as long as the the, the, f- the central bank's message is that they're they're not done with the uh, their monetary tightening. But I guess the the worst is behind us, and if you really expect. Um, inflation to come down, or even worse, a recession to take place somewhere in 2023, then yields obviously will go back down, and bondholders would probably recoup all of the loss that were incurred during 2021. So I guess my big message is, is you have to be patient, you have to stay invested, but clearly uh, prudence is of the essence for uh, for the next six months or so. Yeah, um, speaking of bonds, there's both uh, an opportunity to collect some yield from the from bonds with rates having risen the way they have, 
Um, but as you said, there's also the tactical opportunity that if yields come back, given a slowdown in inflation or uh, a recession, we'll see we'll see a, a, you know yields come back and therefore uh, a tactical opportunity to have some gains as well from the from the bonds. What about sectors like energy and are there any key sectors that you like right now where you would uh, have an overweight uh, and and any sectors? that you specifically have underweighted? Yeah, so I guess this um, discussion is more for uh, portfolio manager, equity portfolio managers, because wherever the, the, the sector you invested in on an absolute return, there's a fair chance that's gonna be negative, right? Right. Uh, but on a relative basis, I guess that defensive sectors, uh, whether utilities or not, or whatnot, staples, you know, consumption staples might, might will probably do better. Everything that's linked to interest rates for interest rate sensitivity, uh, technology stocks, not to name them. I would stay away from, from those for the time being. Uh, but eventually if yields do go back down because, because of everything that we just said, inflation going back down and probably the Fed um, fighting uh, the the uh, the coming slowdown instead of inflation, that would probably be a good time to switch back into growth stocks. Um, I would shy away from um, everything linked to um, uh, cyclical stocks. I guess that that trade was the end of 2021 and the beginning right. of of 2022, but now it's already behind us. I mean. Oil prices, we've already seen the big jump. Uh, the the energy sector is 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 up, you know, big time. I don't see any upward momentum from now on. It may stay, it may stay fairly. Uh, it may may be all right for a couple more months, but I guess that that trade is really behind us. And if there's, uh, and if there's indeed um, a coming slowdown, then even those sectors will feel the brunt of the of the uh, of the slowdown. So, I would uh, I would be prudent um, sector wise uh, going forward. So for the time being, it's it's uh, you you've been increasing the dry powder in the allocation keeping raising allocations to cash taking a more defensive portfolio stance to more liquidity yeah and shorter shorter duration absolutely but recall yeah. that at national bank what we do is we we do the asset allocation we choose the assets we're invested in but we outsource to uh, active portfolio management in um, in uh, external firms so right. they they have the mandate to add value no matter what the environment that uh, they're in Okay, that decision remains their uh, their own. And uh, Martin, what are some of the unique features of you and your team's asset allocation framework? Well, that's a good question. I just um, alluded to our um, <laughs> our, uh, our approach, so it's a, it's a good segue. I mean, uh, yeah. and basically, uh, Pierre, our our approach is uh, three pronged. Um, we start by building portfolios based on a historical risk premium. That's really how we uh, we come up with uh, the the risk profiles for uh, for our client. But that's that's if we 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 couldn't do anything else. So obviously, on top of that, we tend to add what we call a strategic layer, and uh, that's based on our long-term market expectations that we do uh, annually. We revise them annually. The next uh, publication should be out. Uh, shortly, I think it's uh, it's supposed to be out uh, by the end of uh, by the end of the week. 
Uh, and uh, that's where we, um, we had uh, peripheral strategies, like uh, whether it's uh, alternatives, real assets, right. or a private equity, or that's where we decide to be overweighted, uh, plain vanilla asset classes like uh, life stocks or bonds or go on the weight or raise cash or stuff like that. So basically, our, our target is to, is to beat um, a plain vanilla portfolio. Uh, and um, uh, f- finally, to, to, to keep a very flexible approach in all of our solution, we're, we're adding a tactical sleeve where we capture the opportunities of changing market environments uh, and mispricing. So, like I said, because we, we outsource the active management of our solution externally, it's very difficult for us to say, okay, it's time to be overweight Canadian equities or US equities. So we have a tactical sleeve in pretty much all of our uh, portfolio solutions. It usually amounts to somewhere around 10% of solution. It's uh, passively managed, uh, whether in futures or in ETFs. And uh, and we can be very, very, very uh, flexible uh, with that approach. Um, in a matter of um, a day, we can go from overweight equities to overweight bonds. So that's uh, that's given us a lot of flexibility and um, that's uh, enabled us to, to, to capture some, um, some, some good opportunities uh, over the past couple of years. Melton, is it safe to say that, that, that your office is, your CIO office is maintaining uh, a high degree or, or is, is maintaining uh, all the objectivity that you can possibly maintain? Um, you're not married to any particular vector or outlook in the in the in the market you're not making any you're not making bets on on you know the direction of the market um you're 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 mainly and you're mainly analyzing the market objectively in order to see where the flows are where the ebb and you know where the ebb and flow of the market is and what directions you know different areas of the market are heading in and, Abs- and monitoring like yes you're absolutely right. I mean, we're we're analyzing the, the the markets on a daily basis, but we're also trying to see the the big picture. Right. And whenever we come up with an idea, whether it's to to buy real assets or infrastructure or to go into commodities or to, we we search the planet for the best managers and we just allocate them. Uh, you know, uh, they're 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 competing against each other. So we're we're just trying right. to come up with the best strategy possibly, and then. We allocate the mandate to to, to the best uh, the best managers uh, out there, and because of our pricing power, because every time we allow allocate mandates, it's in the midst of uh, you know 500 million and most mostly billions. Uh, usually, uh, we get very good pricing power also for our, for our customers. So that's uh, that's probably a good uh, a good advantage or a differentiator that we have from uh, from most of our banking competitors, not to name them. Within the mandates that you manage, um, how do you and your team work in terms of, of uh, overseeing the assets that you directly control? Well, yeah, that's a good question. So I've, um, I've talked about our, um, our uh, open architecture approach earlier. Right. So we, we do have a team that manages that. They do due diligences on all of our external portfolio managers. So that's really their job. I come up with the idea and then they do come up with 
uh, the best in class and then uh, as a committee we we choose uh, we only retain the, uh, the the best ones uh, and then it's their job to to make sure that you know on a, on a regular basis they uh, they meet with them and uh, make sure that they uh, they're still aligned with the, the mandates that, that we give them um, what we do in my team is that not only we come up with the strategy, but we also manage the tactical sleeve that that portfolio I was uh, I was telling you about. So it's uh, I guess it's somewhere in the neighborhood of um, seven billion dollars I guess uh, that we're uh, that we're managing, and we're. Um, uh, we're, we're doing that in my team. So we come up with a strategy, we, we made the decisions, we follow the, the, the markets on a daily basis. And uh, that's, that's given us all of the, like I said, the flexibility to, to make sure that the clients are, you know, the best aligned in, the, uh, in any type of, uh, of environment, uh, really. And that's, that's worked fairly well for us uh, over the past couple of years. We're, um, knock on wood, we were able to add uh, a lot of value for our, for our clients uh, doing it that way. How much do you think at this point the market has discounted? You, you've already said that you know you think that the, the worst is behind us. So in other words, you you also must believe that the market believes that the worst, the worst of these policy changes is behind us. Yeah, uh, and the and the worst of the news that's happening is also behind us, given given uh, geopolitical events, the war in Ukraine, um, supply supply shock. Uh, reopening of the economy and and all of the pressures that that has put on inflation so how much i maybe i'm answering the question for you <laughs> <laughs> yeah but much, yeah you know, you the, know markets yeah. yeah markets don't like to be yeah. idle they're always looking for direction yeah so sometimes it's only tactical in nature if things go too far they're 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 waiting and just you know to uh, for for the markets to go to go back up, but the general trend remains down. When I say that, probably the worst is behind us. Is that remember, somewhere in 2021, benchmark yields were hovering around zero, and they went up to 3.5 percent in a matter that was almost never seen before. So being long, very long duration in nature. I mean, the hit to the bond market was the worst probably ever remember in the 80s when yields were going when when yields went all the way up to almost 20 percent coupon rates were also very high so that kind of upset the the total return aspect of um of the of the bond return but nowadays you don't have that i mean coupons are were at zero they were um uh, there was a a huge premium uh on the on on most bonds but now I mean, yield to maturity is somewhere around 3.5, uh, 4%, and uh, there's a discount for buying a bond. So, I mean, yields may well go up a little bit more, like I said, until um, the Fed is done or central banks are done generally. But I guess the, the worst is probably behind us for uh, in terms of uh, the bond direction. Now, equities is another thing. Uh, and it, it remains to be seen what's uh, what's what's ahead of us. But um, I guess if we revisit the lows of uh, last June, markets will go back in bear market. We'll be down 24-ish, 25%. Uh, and then we'll have to see um, how much um, 
how much bad news is still uh, is still to come or if most of those are already priced in but what we do in our day-to-day -day monitoring is that we try to stay as as rational as 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 could be in our decision making and to do that there's a, there's a wide array of uh, metrics that we follow uh, and um, because we consider ourselves evidence-based everything is gathered through um, analysis models where we we add different signals ranging from monetary conditions cyclical conditions and market sentiment uh, in a way to quantify our risk positioning uh, like I said the the uh, we we kind of believe uh, that we're the last line of defense for our clients so we want to stay as rational as possible in our uh, in our decision making and that's uh, that's why we tend to have um, the need to to be to quantify all of our uh, all of our decision making but like you said there's a, there's still a lot to uh, to to factor going uh, going forward and like I said we're still waiting for the uh, uh, the behavior of the uh, of the consumers to uh, to change there's never been right. a recession whether in whether in the US or or in uh, in Canada not involving a slowdown in consumption and I guess the big positive if I uh, if I try to compare the current downturn with uh, other uh, recessionary episodes, is that like I said, there's no there's not that many imbalances, but firms are are all right. Their balance sheet is clean. Same thing with households. I mean, there's been um, there's been a, a very sharp uh, rise in um, in many metrics concerning um, households. I mean. Uh, net worth has, has gone up like never before uh, and although the stock market is down since the beginning of the year the last 10 years were almost abnormal in uh, in returns for uh, for many um, uh, for many investors so a right. lot of people got really rich over the past um, couple quarters or years uh, and because of that we think that their um, their uh, their balance sheet is also uh, fairly good and they'll probably be able to uh, to weather any type of storm and like I said uh, hopefully our base case scenario is for um, the, the coming uh, recession to be uh, shallow and uh, short-lived in nature right so some 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 lasting wealth effects from the last decade are, are providing pretty significant cushion for the consumer right absolutely yeah absolutely yeah you mentioned alternatives. What role are alternatives playing in your asset allocation model? A, a big role, actually. Uh, we're we're looking at that. Uh, we've added some, uh, like I said, now yields have gone up, so bonds will probably, you know, be more in vogue uh, for the uh, for the foreseeable future, much more attractive. But the past five years has been yields will go up eventually and we need to prepare for that so we we switched we took a lot of our um, uh, positioning in uh, in bonds to invest that in uh, cash like uh, securities so whether it's infrastructure whether it's uh, uh, timberland and uh, agricultural uh, funds we we, uh, we we bought a lot of real assets over the past uh, couple of years. We also we're, we're also invested in what we call non-traditional 
uh, fixed income. So we're trying to buy some uh, some opportunities. We're trying to go um, buy into uh, spread products instead of just buying the um, uh, the coupons. So that's added also a lot of value, and we've invested a lot of our uh, time and effort into uh, the private market. So whether it's debt, infrastructure, right. like I mentioned, but also in private equity, just to make sure that uh, our spectrum is as, uh, or our universe is as, uh, as wide uh, as possible to capture every uh, possible opportunities for, uh, for our client going forward. Excellent. And um, Meltan, what are some of the areas, I think you may have covered this already, but, but uh, I, I think I should still ask you, yeah. what are some of the areas of investment or opportunity that you want to highlight for investors? I know you mentioned cash. Uh, the U.S. dollar is is very strong and appears like it might it, you know appears to have some durability in terms of continuing to be stronger for at least a little while. Um, but uh, and and cash, of course, is is uh, you know building up some dry powder in in portfolio allocations. But are there any other um, are there any areas uh, of uh, opportunity that that you'd like to highlight? It's probably too soon to try to reverse any trends. Uh, like you mentioned, the, the U.S. dollar is really strong. It's probably the strongest it's been in in a long while. And usually, when there's a, when there's a downturn, the um, um, the look for a safe havens is always favorable to to U.S. dollar. But um, the this. The, the U.S. Central Bank or the Fed is is always the first one to to hike interest rates. It's uh, it's always been like that, and usually there's a sort of a six month lag before the rest of the world catches up to uh, to the Federal Reserve. So before that happens, and we just saw uh, the ECB starting hiking its uh, its uh, its own monetary uh, policy, but there's 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 no way in in my mind that. The, the ECB will be able to raise rates all the way up to um, to wherever rates the uh, the Fed is uh, is taking the markets right. uh, because of the uh, the difficulty uh, or the structural difficulties that uh, Europe is facing right now the energy crisis I mean there's there's so many things that will prevent the ECB from from hiking interest rates all the way to the levels that we're seeing uh, here in North, North America. So for the time being, I, I would say that although the, the, the U.S. dollar seems to be overbought, it, it would be difficult for us to really bet against that in the, uh, in, the very, uh, in the very near future. Cash is just, I mean, an opportunity that was taken off the list uh, you know, over the past couple of years, because yields were brought down basically to zero. Nowadays, it's a, it's sort of an alternative. If you don't like, if you think bonds will go much higher, then cash is probably better for you. And if you think that equities will correct because there's a a recession coming, then again, cash is probably a better alternative than it was, um, you know, for for a very 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 long time. But um, I would tend to stay very prudent in the uh, in the near term. But just to remind everyone, risk aversion, if you, if you get out of the market, um, risk aversion will prevent you to, to go back into the market. And don't forget, there's already 20% of the downturn that's already priced in. It may be, there might be another 10% or even a 40, uh, 20% downturn yeah. 
come in ahead of us that would be in line with uh, historical bear markets going all the way back to uh, the early uh, 1950s. But since there's not that many imbalances in the um, in the uh, in the economy right now, it could be it doesn't have to be uh, that bad. So uh, just because of that, recall the the importance of being invested, and because the first couple of months following the rebound are are always spectacular. I guess the 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 signal this time around will not come from the Fed saying that they're done with tightening monetary policy, that may give way to a rally, but the, the big jump or the big turnaround in equity market will only come once the Fed uh, signals or has given us the message that they're about to lower interest rates. That's always been the, the, the pivotal uh, signal <laughs> from central banks. So I guess be um, be ready for that. Once that happens, the, the market will go um, will go back up, and we're that'll be the beginning of the, of a, a very of another very long uh, cycle. Um, I'm pretty sure of it. That's terrific insight, Martin. What's what's one thing that sets national bank investments apart in your mind? Well, that's a very good question. But um, if if I had to think, it it wouldn't be one thing; it'd be everything. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I mean, starting with the uh, the culture, adopting the bank's value of uh, uh, making a positive impact for for the community, for our clients, for our employees, uh, the way we work in uh, close uh, collaboration with our partners. Uh, I've mentioned our uh, open architecture approach, uh, which gives us the ability to choose and retain only the best managers uh, everywhere on the planet. Um, and like I said, at the best price. So that's a big differentiator for us. Um, but above all, I guess it's our people. Uh, we've really put every effort in raising the bar to attract and retain um, the best talents and, and uh, to be a destination of choice for our for our employees and that um, it's really paid off in um, in recent years so yeah if there's uh, one thing i guess that's a parts would be um would be our people thank you for sharing that so this is a time for prudence maintain your asset allocation in other words stay invested this is not a time to jump out we you know you mentioned uh, i i would i would uh say that you you know the implication of what you said uh, just now about uh remaining invested, remaining in your asset allocation is that change, things things obviously can change very quickly. They can turn on a dime. And, yeah. and uh, it, you know, if you've, if you've already been through the worst of this year, getting out now would be one of those terrible behavioral mistakes that, that you know, investors make quintessentially, which is, which is, you know, getting out at exactly the worst time possible and then missing the recovery. Any parting thoughts? I guess you're you're right about that uh, that last statement, and it's all linked to you know risk aversion. If you if you get out now, it probably if 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 equities continue to go down, that that would be a good thing. But the importance going back into the market also at the right time, and that's a very difficult uh, decision to make. But I would uh, I would add that uh, you know volatility will remain with us. In the foreseeable future, that's that's for sure. Uh, what we're seeing also is that when when yields do go um, back up like they just did, usually the uh, correlation between bond returns and equities is also goes back to positive. So it means that 
there's going to be some very good times ahead of us, but the bad times can be also uh, worse. So there's not going to be much diversification from bonds uh, going forward. So I guess diversification will remain key. Uh, you need to look at every aspect of uh, the environment universe um, going forward. That's that's one sure thing that will remain. Uh, yeah. One last question. What's a hobby or personal interest that you could talk about for hours? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I do. I do lots of things. I mean, uh, I've, I've built my own uh, cottage. So, yeah, that's kept me busy for uh, for parts of uh, the last uh, couple of years. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah, every weekend and uh, it's uh it's <laughs> it's almost finished. I mean, it was uh it was a boon to have that uh, during the pandemics we spent a lot of time there with the uh, with the family. I do um, I'm a boat guy. I'm always on the water. So, yep. I love doing that water skiing, uh, surfing, uh, stuff like that. That's uh that's the kind of thing that I like, but um, you know, fall is upon us, so we'll probably go for uh, uh, hiking uh, in the trails and in the uh, in the backyard. So that uh, that will be fun too. I'm uh, looking forward to it. Well, uh, Maltin, you weren't kidding when you said you know you were you were an action guy. Yeah, <laughs> Maltin, thank you so much. That was uh, that was a terrific conversation. Um, very excited to uh, chat with you today. My pleasure, Pierre. Thanks for having me. <laughs>